Well, we've been talking about supernatural increase. Anyone here believe God for supernatural increase? And we've learned so far that uh, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to walk in the truth. We're going to have to maintain faithfulness. We're going to have to be diligent. We're going to have to be tithers and sowers. Say, yay! I get tithers' rights and I get sowers' promises. And then we've been talking next about the, the principle of believing God which is not passive, it's actually active. You don't believe God by just sitting on a stump and hoping to pray something happens. But you're active with your faith. And we told you, based on the Word of God, that if you're going to be believing for supernatural increase, you're going to have to hear, say, I hear, hear. and then I believe. believe. And what happens when I hear and believe? I do. do. If I hear something and I believe it, I'm going to act on that. And that's what James teaches us, that we're not just supposed to be hearers of the Word only. But doers, because if we hear and we don't do, we're actually deceiving ourselves. Well, Pastor, what's the deception? The deception is thinking that hearing is going to produce in your life without doing. That simple statement explains why there are millions stunted in their spiritual growth, though they've been in church for decades, because they heard and they heard and they heard and they heard and they heard. But it's not until you do that the supernatural power in the Word of God It's there to bring itself to pass. It's not until you do that that power is released. Let me say it again. Hearing is important because faith comes by hearing. But if you want the power to be released, what do you have to do? You have to actually do it. I mean, you can hear the principles of sowing and reaping and tithing until the cows come home and go back out and come home and go back out and come home again. But until you actually what? do it, the power's not released into the area where the promises of God are made and so they come to fruition in your life. And we can understand that because the the only way we demonstrate we believe something is if we actually do it. Does that make sense? So say it with me, I hear, I believe, and I do. I like this scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 too because Paul is setting the record straight. He says, we're not into deception. He said, nor do we distort the word of God. We basically set the truth before the people plainly. That's what a pastor, that's what a teacher, that's what a Sunday school teacher should be doing is setting the word forth plainly. And then the people have the decision at that point to believe and act on that or not. But how many understand people deserve to have the word that's not distorted? And you deserve to have a faith in your heart that's not being distorted as well. But the bottom line is, there are so many things out there that are competing for that space in the garden of your heart. Now, if you're coming here and you're submitting yourself to the uncompromised Word of God, you're getting good seed inside of that garden of your heart. And the Bible says it's incorruptible, it is pure, it is eternal, and it always produces after its own kind. There is no such thing as a dud, a seed dud in the Word of God. Well, then what's the problem? The problem is the maintenance and the, the contents and the quality of the, of the soil. And the Scripture tells us in Mark 4 that we see that there are you know, operations of the enemy to stop that from happening. First, he comes to steal the Word you know, by, by plucking it up because we don't understand. Then we understand that when, when trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, some people let go of the Word of God. It's not allowed to grow. And when they first hear the Word of God, when they first hear the promises of God, joy springs up, and for a season they believe until what happens? On the other side of that joy is a thing called trouble or persecution for the Word. And a lot of people at that point let go of the Word. Well, if He doesn't get you by plucking the Word out of your heart, He doesn't get you by causing you to let go of it because of trouble or persecution, He'll go with the third mechanism, which is, of course, a you know, thing called you know, you know, desires and distractions and worries and fears. And He'll try to crowd out that good seed. But there's a promise there, if you will push back and you refuse to be taken out through the immediate attack of the enemy, the intermediate attack of the enemy, or the long-term attack of the enemy. Everybody say long-term. Some of us forget that this is not a sprint. And you succeed the first year, the second year, then five years, you let these gimmicks work on you, your harvest will be small. But if you persevere, you'll get 30, 60, and a hundredfold what was actually sown. That's the promise of God. That's the teaching of Jesus. So the harvest is real. The seed is incorruptible. So the only variable here is the condition of the soil of the heart. 
and no one can, can you know, guard that and, and maintain that but you. Nobody. Spouse can't do it for you. Parents can't do it for you. Pastor can't do it for you. You are the protector and the guardian of the condition of your soul. And that's why this is so difficult. If we lived in a bubble and the only thing going in was what pastor taught, and that's what you meditate upon, the word of God, then it would be great. But it would be a lie to tell you that the only thing trying to enter your heart is what the Word of God says. In other words, there are things that are trying to distort, to change, to twist, to manipulate, to deform that pure Word, that pure seed. And if it seems like you're not getting the harvest or nothing ever happens in your life, I assure you that God's still working in your life. How many believe that? If you're not getting the level, say, of the harvest that you want, you want to look and see what else has been crowding into that space, your heart, and squeezing out the potential of that seed. I promise you, it's not the Word. And some people, when they don't see this happening on their timeline, they'll think, well, the Word doesn't work, or the messenger's off the wall, that church is crazy. Let me tell you something. We're a little nuts here. Crazy for Jesus, amen? But there's nothing wrong with the Word. And there's nothing wrong with the word that's proclaimed. So if it's not God and it's not his word, it's not, it's not his word, right? What is it? It might be us. And what can happen is something could have slipped into your heart from some other channel, some other source, and it's pushing out the potential of that seed. That's why scripture tells us in Proverbs 4 to guard our heart with what? All Diligence. Well, why would I sit there and stare at the garden? Why would I sit there and stare at the dirt day after day, week after week, month after month, to make sure somebody doesn't drop something in that garden that's going to compromise what I've been believing God for all these years? I mean, why get to this point that someone to come in and spoil what God has been doing in your life? So we guard our heart with all diligence because Scripture says out of it flow the issues or the forces, the life forces, and um, no one can do that for you as well. So there's a lot of ways that happen, and we talked about this generically on Sunday. I just want to just recap them with you. There are various types of distortion that will affect the production of the seed that's in the soil of your heart. The first one, of course, is the distortion of religion or the weed of religion, however you want to look at this thing. And basically, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself uh, letting this stuff, you know, get into you. Or, I like to say it like this, it may not be trying to get into you, but it may come up in you. The longer you sit under the Word of God, the longer, more likely it's going to be that something's still there that doesn't belong there. And if you defend that religious root, it's going to choke out what God's trying to do in your life. I remember one time I turned on television and I heard Brother Copeland talking about the lady that gave, you know, the widow that gave two mites in the offering. How many remember that story of Scripture? And the contention was very simple that uh, she was believing God for breakthrough in her life. And so she gave out of love, she gave out of compassion, but she also gave belief in that God wouldn't let her down. And there's something about that that hit me wrong. Can I tell you what that was that hit me wrong? It's called R-E-L-I-G-I-O-N. And what's going to happen as you grow in these things, you should have these confrontations between the revelation of the Word of God and your religion. And it won't happen once. If you're growing, it's going to what? It's going to happen a lot. I had got smacked in the face over the new birth, smacked in the face over the reality of the Holy Ghost, smacked in the face over righteousness, you know, brought to attention over a lot of things. And the problem is I wasn't raised in Sunday school as somebody would be raised in Judaism understanding these Old Testament scriptures and stories and how they believed vehemently if God would do that for a widow in the Old Testament, he would do it for her. One of the people I want to talk to when I get to heaven is I want to talk to that widow because I want to find out what Jesus did. Because I know he just didn't look at her and then let that be the end of the story. I can't even comprehend. She may have gone home to who knows what he did. You know, from building a house to overwhelming her with some, I don't know what he did. All I know is he was not sitting there watching that and saying, hey, that's neat, look at that. And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that widow. What was I missing? Why was religion rising up? Because religion was rising up because there was no revelation there. I didn't understand that all that woman was doing was based on what happened when that widow obeyed God in the Old Testament. 
he, she believed that God would also honor her. And she gave everything that she had. That's just one example for me. I don't know when religions popped up in your life. I was talking to my sister several years ago, and she said, you know, I was sitting underneath the Word of God in this special meeting, and all of a sudden the speaker said something, and up came that little piece of religion. That was 14 years into the ministry. Look, at somebody say, if it can happen to Tammy, it can happen to you. Well, the, the bottom line is it's, it's, it's a threat. You know, it's a threat to you and to me. You know, they made fun of him, talked behind his back. He's from Nazareth. You know, what, what possibly good could come out of Galilee, blah, blah, blah. And they were very, you know, uppity in their mentality. They had this, they had this you know, air about them. I see the same thing in modern Christianity. There's some people in certain church organizations think they're better than you. They're more acceptable than you. We need to go to the acceptable church. Our family needs to go where we can build our business. We need to go where all the rich people go, where all the influential people go. You need to go where God tells you to go because it can be a matter of life and death. I've seen people make that decision and leave this life early because they were looking for the wrong thing. It wasn't the Holy Ghost leading them. It was religion leading them. So they're not going to have a great harvest when religion is a dominating influence in their life. And let me just put it out there to you, not because of doctrine or practice or belief or affiliation, you're not better than anybody else in the body of Christ. And they're not better than you. We're all on this journey. Amen? So we don't look down on somebody and let that spirit rise up in our heart. And it certainly isn't worth letting that thing choke out the word. A very closely related tradition is the distortion of tradition, religion and tradition. These are things that uh, you know, people actually believe, but most of them are man-made rules. And Jesus said, you make the word of God of none effect for what? Your man-made rules. And if you're not careful, people will subject themselves to those things. You know, uh, you know some, some ladies were told that if they wore makeup, they'd go to hell. Well, I'm here to tell you, you won't go to hell. How are, you, are you here today? I think it was Brother Osteen who used to say, no, that old barn could use a coat of paint every once in a while. <laughs> Brother Osteen said that, just for the record. And again, all these little things that, that man said to do, one of the things they, they made up was, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, you're unclean and you're a sinner. And that is not taught in the, in the Word of God. That was a good idea. Repeat after me, when I go to the potty, I should wash my hands. But that's not going to send you to hell. See the difference? Well, godliness is next to cleanliness. What book and chapter is that in? Huh? How about this one? Lord will help us. Can you think of some traditions that people have thrown out there and they've become almost co-equal with Scripture and they're not exactly what? Scripture. What are they? They're traditions. Look at somebody say, it's a good idea to wash your hands. But that doesn't make it spiritually imperative. Does that make sense? They must have had a fun time with Jesus because they could never pin him down. No matter what they did, the word of wisdom would come to him and just silence them. Now, the question isn't what's in them. Is there still tradition in you? It'll choke the word of God out. Traditionally, uh, Christians have believed in this nation and taught this for years, that the Christians you know, should just be marginal and poor, just getting along, and just a few more weary days in the end, we'll fly away. We shouldn't believe God to increase supernaturally. We shouldn't believe God you know, for material substance so we can be blessed and be a blessing. That's, that's tradition that teaches that. Again, going back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Word of God is plain that God's people are to be blessed and stand out. Amen. 36 messages I preached when I first came here on biblical prosperity for a world evangelization. evangelization. What did I say? Biblical prosperity for a world evangelization. Money with what? With a mission. And I can tell you what, you could almost hear the screams in some people. Having fits. And if you're still like that, then we'll just stay put. We'll keep working on you. 
But what is it that's rising up on the inside of you? It's not the word. It's not the revelation of the word. It's what you heard somebody say. That somebody took something out of context. The reality is, God's word is plain. These blessings shall come up upon you, and what overtake you, there's a condition to that, that you'll hearken diligently, that you'll hear, believe, and do, which is really what that word means. These blessings shall come upon you, and do what? Overtake you. Now, what silly person would read that and say, well, you know what, that's not God, that's not for me. What do you mean it's not God? That's God's mouth to Moses, to the people of God, to us today, we're still talking about it. Tradition says, just a few more very days and then, God doesn't want me to have anything. I'm going to come up on the rough side of the mountain. Just give me a little shack in heaven. Well, I hate to disappoint you, but there are no shacks in heaven. The people that have been to heaven and come back, they all tell sales, you know, the same story. There are no shacks. There is some diversity in how, how opulent they are and describe the size of the various dwellings for people. But hey, man, turn to somebody and say, you don't want to miss it. <laughs> Say to you, you don't want to miss it. And furthermore, don't be feeling sorry for people that are there. How many of y'all have lost a mama? Raise your hand. You've lost a mama to death, and you, you know in your heart where she's at. You know what I sensed the Holy Ghost saying tonight when I stepped up here? The mama was waving at y'all tonight. I'm doing just fine. Listen, see you soon. Well, Pastor Art, I don't want to go tonight. I didn't say tonight. I said, we'll see you soon. <laughs> we got this idea that they're somehow trapped in this weird environment, you know. And oh, no, 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 no. They're having the time of their life. You're still down here with these crazies. <laughs> Enjoy your life here. Believe the Bible here. Don't let tradition rob you. It, listen, it literally makes the word of God of none effect. Write this down. It literally robs the word of its power for you. You're believing God and at the same time holding on to something that strips the word of its power for you. I don't know what that tradition may be, but if you'll keep your heart open to make up your mind to have ears to hear and be teachable, You'll be able to say, you know what? I just I felt that I felt that religion. Raise your hand if you ever experienced what I'm talking about. I felt that religion come up, and you can say, no, I'm going to go with God's word. Why is that? You know, you might be here, and, and you started out in the pure milk and meat of the word. You weren't exposed to religion and tradition. God bless your heart. I want your autograph. Most of us were subjected to religion and tradition, and we've had to unlearn some things. That's why I'm so excited about kids that are growing up under Super Kid Academy curriculum and growing up here under B and others because they've been taught nothing but the Word of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And uh, that's, that's what you want them to be taught because they're going to have a testimony that's very different from most of us. You know, we had to go through years and sometimes decades of reprogramming. They were taught the truth from the beginning. Now, if they don't use it, that's their problem. If they can't sense the privilege they've had sitting under that kind of a ministry, from the little ones all the way to youth, to college, uh, all the way up through, through adult services, then that's between them and their God. But they had the chance because two of the things, see, they're not going to have to deal with as far as distortions are religion and tradition. What a wonderful place to be. How many can raise your hand and say, but that's not my testimony? Raise the pot. That's not mine. We had to unlearn some things. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense where we have to unlearn them from. But, you know, we're all subject to what we hear, and we are a compilation of the things that we've been exposed to. Amen. Number three is myths. These are things that are widely believed but are wrong. Paul told Timothy that people turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. From the origin of the universe to the creation of mankind versus the evolution of mankind to everything in between, and you know, to hyper-attention to conspiracy theories, the more you get into that stuff, the more you spend time in myths, the more it's going to choke out the Word of God in your life. Amen. And there are an awful lot of Christians, they're just waiting for the next conspiracy to come. 
1988, a book came out, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. Well, we're still waiting. And there are Christians who not only bought that hook, line, and sinker, they bought the book and they actually studied the book in small groups. Now, what happens when 1988 rolls around, the date rolls around? Well, if you're the prophet, you just reset your date. Oops, it's next month. And take out big, big boards and then just change them. You know when that doesn't happen. Watch this. That's a myth. It's a myth that you can predict a time that is set by the Father himself. And it's foolishness. Now, why would somebody do that? Because their devotion to myth, to conspiracy theory, to whatever is greater than their devotion to the Word of God. The Word is plain. Come on, say it with me. It's plain on these matters. But see, if you're going to you know, be corrupted in your heart, it's going to be because you gave something greater weight, we call that honor, than the Word of God. Uh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus doesn't. But this man that wrote this book, well, he knows. Are you really going to put your faith in somebody who had $500,000 to waste on billboards when he's going to come back? He's going to come back. And it's sooner rather than later. We do know, we can sense the seasons, but we just don't know the day or the hour. And so we're supposed to be prepared. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them, stay away from the miss. I call this the golden calf syndrome. Moses wasn't gone very long before they began to do what? <laughs> Bring me all them valuables and throw them in a pot. And Aaron's so funny. Moses, these people put this stuff in a pot and look what popped out. It's just golden calf just popped out. Nobody created it, fashioned it, just, it just popped out. Listen, when you give yourself over these things, you turn from the word of God, you are capable of believing any kind of myth. Political theories, conspiracy theories, origins theories, um, UFOs and alien theories. Can I tell you what 99.99999% of all of that stuff is? It's a high-end military aircraft that no one wants to talk about. And they would rather you believe in UFOs than know the truth about what they're doing technologically-wise. And it's probably wise right now because there's so many people selling out their country. Amen. Say, so there's a life out there? Yeah, God's out there. Jesus is out there. And some of y'all may have been sucked into this stuff. Uh, I don't believe they landed on the moon, Brother Art. But does that really matter? <laughs> is that an eternal thing, whether man actually did or it was staged? Some of you give these people in Hollywood too much credit. I personally believe that they did, and I think there's sufficient evidence of those that actually went and the technicians that were involved in this. So, you know, they accomplished something that was very, very great, driven by a vision to do something extraordinary. That's what man does. Man yearned to go west, man yearns to go to space, and now man yearns to go to Mars. Or maybe they will, or maybe they won't. But when you and I are glorified, we'll go wherever we need to go. Won't we need a spaceship? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. But stay away from that stuff because it'll do what? I'm believing. I'm believing for increase. And all of a sudden you get sucked into some conspiracy thing. Just roll that over on the Lord. That's all practice. Let's roll that over on the Lord. Let's not touch it with our thoughts, with our words, or with our actions. And stay in the Word of God. Because that's where the seed is that's going to produce the harvest in your life. Spend more time talking about QAnon than you do about the Apostle Paul. You got a problem. Moving right along. <laughs> Another one is desire. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Here you are believing in God, and here comes all these other desires. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to crucify that flesh. Don't lose out on your good harvest because of your flesh or because of some desire. It may look right. It may look for good for getting wisdom according to Eve. But the reality is it doesn't work very well. Once that happens, we lose everything. Maybe desirable wisdom, looking good, or good for food, but that's not the basis of it. I go back to Samson, whose parents told him, don't be messing with them heathen women. That message will preach today. <laughs> oh, but that's the one I want, Mom and Dad, and he went out and married her. 
Now, how many of you know that he, he paid dearly for that price? Oh, yes. His strength, his reputation, his eyesight, ultimately his life for not listening to mom and dad. And that means mom and dad in terms of your family, but also means spiritual leadership. A lot of people that have lost their vision, they've lost their way. They've lost their direction, not listening to spiritual leadership. Can I tell you something? When you're confused about your place, your purpose, your direction, that's not the time for you to start yielding to the flesh. And when you can't see, you should rely on people in your life that speak the truth to you. Let me put it this way. If they spoke the truth for you and you believed it before you were confused, how much more should you believe it now that you've got a problem going on? It'll keep you out of the ditch. It'll keep you out of the lair of the Philistines. It'll keep you from having your head shaved and your eyes plucked out. Amen. Glory to God. This is supposed to be the Overcomers Club, amen. It's supposed to be Wednesday night on fire, people. I'll take a better amen than that. Amen. You need to listen to people that God has called to shepherd your souls. Don't be like that little sheep on Facebook where the guy got him out of the ditch and he jumped right back into the creek. I know that particular lamb. Yes, I do. Let's get free and stay free. And one of the ways you stay free is by actually listening, especially when you're being bombarded in your mind by a bunch of junk. Number six is emotion. We talked a lot about that. But let's just say that while you're believing God for supernatural increase, this is not the time to make one of your feelings your Lord. Anger offense, jealousy, insecurity, fear. If you do that, you're going to compromise the harvest that God has planned according to his word. You've got to make sure that your emotions do not become Lord at that moment. It's always important that you're not letting your emotions lead you because they're not anointed to do that. But when you're looking for a harvest, it's, it's incredibly important because the devil will try to bait you. But this way, your greatest vulnerability to offense is when you're actively believing God for supernatural harvest in your life. Now, if you know that, what, what would that make you do? Stay on your toes. Y'all remember when the uh, apostles, they were, of course, called disciples at that time, and their man with this boy, and they couldn't get him delivered. Remember that? And when Jesus walked up, they were arguing with whoever was there, and it just wasn't working for him. Do you also remember in the same context, the disciples were talking and arguing themselves, which one was greater? Who would have the elevated place? That narrative happens several places in the gospel. This was an ongoing conversation among them. Which means they were what? They were in strife. They came to Jesus privately and they said, how come we couldn't cast the devil out? How come we couldn't do it? You gave us the authority. Everybody say, I have the authority. Mark 10, right? Luke tells us in Luke 10, we have what? The, there's no question we have the authority. So how can we have the authority in it not work? A major deal is strife. You know what he told them? And this has been misinterpreted like crazy. This kind goeth not out, but by what? Prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What, he was, what happens when a Christian prays and fasts? They don't change God's mind. It is the believer that is changed by the prayer and the fasting. And if they had been praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit would have said to them, you've got to get the strife out, the party spirit, the agenda out. It's not about you being the best or the brightest or the greatest. If they had actually been doing that, they would not have been in that place of strife and that boy would have what? Been delivered by them, not by the one who was strife-free. One of the first places you want to look to when something's not working is the subtlety of this nonsense getting into your heart. An agenda. Let me help you out here. You walking in a secret agenda in the house of God and the things of God and the people of God 
is strife. It's not just when you're at war with somebody, but if you are, you are contemplating something, you're trying to maneuver, trying to position like these apostles, you're going to shut down the power of God to cause harvest in your life, and you're not going to get the things that you actually are believing God for. It's strife. Hidden agenda, motives, all kinds. That's strife. Does that make sense? Um, somebody came to my office years ago and said, you know, if... if if you don't let so-and-so start speaking more, he's going to find another church. And I looked at him and I said, oh, I said, uh, well, I won't be chasing after him. And you thought I'd hit the guy in the head with a two-by-four, that I would respond to that kind of manipulative speech and bow to it. Do you see this? Um, now, fast forward, is that person speaking to this day? No. There's no advancement whatsoever in that, in that ministry, and there's a call there. That doesn't mean there's not a call there. But that's not how these things operate. That is not only somebody in strife because they have an agenda. Are you watching this? They suck somebody else into it as well. Amen. And they couldn't understand how I wouldn't bow and allow myself to be witchcraft like that, which is what that is. I mean, understand it's not my church, it's God's church. I feel prompted and impressed as God develops people and, and they are exposed to people because if you let some, some, you know, person up there and they're compromising the pure seed and they're compromising the heart of the people, guess who's responsible for it? And watch this. Anybody that would come to a pastor and not even come personally, but come through a third party, has no business being anywhere near a pulpit. They are filled with strife, and they can't even recognize it. The sad thing is, God could have done something wonderful, but not that way. Are you here today? I just point this out to you to say that when we think about strife, we think about offense, we think about people warring, you know, getting ugly with each other, getting mad at each other. Listen, that, that devil has multiple, you know, manifestations. And one of the ways you, you want to live is you get up every day saying, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, I am yours today. Use me, command me, sir. Do what you want with me. Amen. If, if nothing happens particularly, then that's just the way it is. But Lord, if you want to use me today, here I am. And let him use you. Be available. The Lord spoke it to me like this. They're trying to cast out a devil while being subject to one. That's not going to work. You don't cast the devil out while you're, you're overwhelmed with the spirit of strife. Well, they were disciples. How could they possibly be in strife? They're human. And they weren't spirit-filled. And that's not even a catch-all. Raise your hand if you've ever seen an ugly spirit-filled Christian. I don't mean on the outside. If you've been in the body of Christ the only time at all, you've seen somebody who's spirit-filled, but that's not necessarily being translated into the fruit of the Spirit. That's a cultivation issue, isn't it? It's a development issue for you and for me. So be careful with that. Um, that distortion of desire, that distortion of emotion. Rich young ruler lost a great life and great exciting you know, future over the fact that he was what? Sad. Uzziah was confronted by those courageous priests, and the Bible says he got furious. His fury cost him everything that day. How about Saul, King Saul? He became a great spear thrower. But in his jealousy and anger, he lost everything. Do you see this? I can't go around sowing my seeds financially, confessing I, I believe I receive, and then putting the word in my heart, and then go around being subject to all these distortions. I can't go around getting mad at people, you know, responding to them inappropriately. And then, let me help you out here. Just because nobody saw you respond inappropriately doesn't mean that it's okay. So when you're riding your car and somebody does something really stupid in front of you, 
Just because nobody was there to see it, that doesn't mean you're going to produce a good harvest. Amen? Yes, moving right along. I can see that some people have to work on that. Glory to God. Either that or stop driving. Distortion of emotion, distortion of the will. Judas and Simon, uh, uh, Judah, Judas and Simon obviously wanted to see insurrection. They wanted to see the Romans overthrown. Simon never really acted on it. I'm not talking about Peter, but Simon the Zealot. Um, Judas, of course, acted on the situation because he was very willful. When you're believing God, say, I'm believing God. What you want is you want a heart at rest on the will of God. I want to be willful, amen, and obedient. This is not a time for you to stick up what you will. This is a time for you to make sure you defer to God's will in every area of your life, in every category, if you're interested in a real harvest. Say, I'm interested. Our experiences are not supposed to be allowed to distort the good word inside of us, but what you experience in life very much can affect what you're actually believing God for. When you got a you know, something you're believing God for, supernatural increase in your heart, you're believing God for, this is a time to watch what you're experiencing. Watch what you're exposing yourself to. You do not need those seeds in, those weeds in there. You don't need that, that nonsense in there. And you certainly don't want to trade the word of God for some spiritual experience. Amen? The devil will keep you perfectly pacified with fake experiences rather than bearing down and pressing in on God. You want to make sure that you pay attention to that. Many Christians have been destroyed by their so-called experiences. And many of them will fight you tooth and nail to say, oh, that was a God thing. Well, where's the fruit? How many understand that if it really is a God experience, it's always going to bear fruit? I've been a pastor long enough to baptize people, and when they got up, they were uglier than when they went in. Something didn't take there. I've seen them fall under the power and get up with no transformation in their life. I've seen people fall under the power, and guess what? They were never the same. I know pastors that went down to, uh, you know, Brownsville, and I mean, a couple of them are in really bad shape, and God met them there. The power of God hit them, and the prophetic word came. It turned their lives around. One of them went out and built a church of four or 5,000 people. He's getting ready to quit and just go off and, I don't know, make tents or whatever he's going to do. But the power of God surged, and the testimony was how God used him when he left that place. Don't tell me one word from God can't change your life forever. Don't tell me a moment in God's presence can't change everything. Experiences are very, very powerful, but they can't what? They can't deviate from the word of God. These things are, are real, but they must line up. And if you're really having an experience from God then guess what's going to happen? You're going to change. Don't believe that? Uh, Saul on the road to Damascus, did he get up changed or was he still a murderer? That moment in time changed everything in his life. Look at somebody and say, if you're not changing, your experience isn't from God. And I mean that too about prophetic utterance. I mean that too about tongues interpretation. I mean that too about any dream or vision that you have. It's really from God. It's going to be that impactful. It's going to move you. It's going to be consistent with the word of God. Amen. These are good things, aren't they? So these are just some of the things. The, the point is that uh, you and I have the pure word planted in our hearts, but it's being distorted, polluted, corrupted, or contaminated because of other things we have heard. There's what God said, and then there's all these other influences. you got all these other weeds growing in. How I many you know it's a good idea every once in a while just to weed your heart? Let's get before the Lord and say, Lord, what is here that doesn't belong here? Did the psalmist do that? Yeah, Psalm 139, what did he say? Search me, O God. Search for the weeds. If there's anything in there that doesn't belong there, then let me know. I don't want this ruining my future. I don't want this ruining the anointing. I don't want this ruining you know, the harvest that I've been believing God for. Some of y'all have been believing God for uh, some powerful things for a long time. This is not the time to let these weeds grow up and choke everything God has for you. Amen? Say it with me. I'm going to be more diligent. So I'm going to talk to you real quickly and make you uh, walk out of here just with, a, with an action plan, just really diligent in your heart about this. Uh, look at somebody and say, don't let the devil distort 
the word of God and destroy your harvest. Matthew 13 kind of sums it up. So go there with me. Hallelujah. This is Matthew's version of the parable. But I want to pick this up, the parable of sorrow, and I'll pick this up in verse 11. He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he, will be, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their, uh, with their ears, they hardly, and they've closed their eyes. And otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will would heal them. Now, that word turn means to be converted, to think differently. So what we have to do is say to ourselves, well, you know, I've, I've got this uh, planting of the word in my heart I'm believing God for. What I need to make sure is that I'm maintaining, you know, uh, that turning, maintaining that conversion. How many understand just because you think a certain way today doesn't mean it's going to guarantee you're going to think the same way in a month from now? You're meant to protect the things you've received. Revelation needs to be received, but also needs to be protected. It'll slip on you if you're not careful. Amen? Well, read the next verse. But blessed are your eyes because they see and ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You know what that means tonight? If you're right with God in his word, expecting, sowing the seed, Amen. Walk with him. You have blessed ears. Say, my ears are blessed. Which means you can hear, which means you can believe, which means what? You can actually understand, actually do the things and have the breakthrough the word of God promises you. Say, my ears are blessed. We're all talking about distortion. What does that mean? My ears are blessed, they're not distorted. I'm going to hear today, I'm going to hear next week, I'm going to hear you know, five years from now, 50 years from now, Jesus tarries, I'm going to continue to have what? Blessed ears, eyes that can see, that can perceive and understand, that can have vision in the things of God, but also ears that are blessed. Say it one more time, my ears are blessed. They're empowered to what? Empowered to succeed. Which means you hear at a level that many Christians do not hear. There are some sermons that will never penetrate certain Christians' hearts because their ears are not blessed. They're ever hearing. How can I tell my ears are blessed? Because I get it. Come on, say it. I get it. You know it's working when you get it. Now, for that to happen, you're going to have to look and say, well, I, I can bow to that religion and tradition. You know, I can bow to things, you know, like the myths. I can bow to desires or will, to my emotions, to my feelings. I can bow to that stuff, or I can stay on the Word of God and say, you know, and my ears are blessed. I'm not putting up with the distortion of the Word of God. Amen? I'm just going to stay out of strife. You know, people can be in strife with you, but you don't have to be in strife with them. You just love them. It's the hardest thing in the world to do, and yet the Holy Spirit will help you. Amen? We don't receive any command in the Word of God without the power to do it. God is not unjust. If He tells you to do something, He'll give you the power to do it. So you can, in fact, walk out this love walk. And why is it important? Because faith worketh by love. Stop the love, get into strife, get into offense, and everything you thought you were believing for is compromised. So let's uh, let me just give you these five simple principles. How to get rid of the distortion. Just write that at the top of your paper, in your heart, how to get rid of the distortion. And how many would say, when you're rid of it, you don't want it coming back? Well, I got rid of five mice, but there's 50,000 more here. Got rid of this, but it's still got all this going. I know we want to get rid of it. Whatever is spoiling in your life, get rid of it. Number one, decide. Decide what? Decide the Word of God is first place and final authority in your life. 
That's not something you can just get by osmosis from somebody else. You personally have to make up your mind that for me, the word is first place and final authority. It's the first place I go to for counsel, not the last. And once the word is spoken on the issue, there is no more deliberation. There is no more talk. There's no more debate. There's no more further argument. And there's no retreat on that issue. Now, if you'll live that way and mean it, here's what God's word said, so it's over for me. There's so many things that are over for me, and they're over for you. For example, Jesus is Lord. How many say it's over? It's settled. How many believe that he is the only way to heaven? It's settled forever. How many understand that the things of the Spirit are real? Settled. Don't mess with me about that. You're not going to get me to back down from that kind of stuff. That's the way you need to be about everything. If we're talking about offense, it needs to be settled. Amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And your neighbor, what? As yourself. For all these, what? These commands hang, what? The law and the prophets. All the promises hang on that. So it's settled forever. Uh, the Bible says in the beginning, God created. It's settled for me. Okay, I mean, wacky myths or, can, you know, concocted stories people come up with. When the Bible says he made them male and female, it's over for me. You say, is it over for every Christian? No, Christians are being bamboozled all over the nation because distortion is coming in from other voices. If it's first place and final authority, well, God, what do you say about gender matters? I made them male and female. It's over for me. It's not what I think. It's what God said. Say to me, God said it. You're not a bigot. That makes God a bigot. And how do you know he can afford to be? He wrote the rules. He's God. And yet the one they would call a bigot has more love for them than anybody. Does that make sense? It's settled. That's the way it has to be. Not, well, if if I believe it and then if some other voice comes along and makes sense to my brain or if my flesh wants to do this, then I'll use that. No, you didn't decide anything. It's a decision of quality from which there is no retreats. There is no possible argument that should be able to get you to move off of the revelation you've received. None. No speaker, no church, no book, no YouTube, no Facebook post should get you to move off the word of God if you have made this decision. Amen. I mean, say you've done what the Bible says and you're on your way to heaven. You leave this life by death, you're going to be with him. Ask him of the body present, what? With the Lord. Do you know that that revelation is one of the most difficult things to be out of a Christian? And praise God that it is. But you want to know why their personal belief in heaven and their conviction they would go there is so strong? Because they heard it and they heard it and they heard it and they heard it. Some of y'all grew up in churches and that's all you heard. So you know where you're going. Brother Olsen used to say, if they beat you into a greasy spot, the greasy spot was saying, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) It can't be beat out of you. You made a quality of decision about that particular area. What I'm saying is a decision of quality about the entirety of the word of God. If the Bible says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he has no sorrow to it, You can't let religion and tradition and all these other voices and all these other theologians strip you of the promise. You simply say to yourself, this is what the word of God says. That I made a decision to go with what it says. Amen. Scripture says, and greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. Without qualification, you say, you know what? What he did, we can do, and even more because that's what he said. It's settled. Come on, say it with me. It is settled. Every promise, every responsibility, every challenge, every word that would speak into this culture right now, and the word is going one way and the culture is going another way, guess what? Going with the word. And I don't have to hate people to go with the word. Let me put it this way. Going with the word does not mean you hate. It means you love God. Does that make sense? So you decide. Say it with me, first place. Final authority. Number two, dedicate. That means dedicate yourself to the pursuit of truth. Constantly expose yourself to truth. Every day you're being bombarded with more error than truth. 
You've got to combat that in your daily life. Prayer, time in the Word of God, faith-filled preaching and teaching. In other words, you need to immerse yourself on purpose in the Word of God. That's the only way you're going to be able to keep these distortions from coming in. They're at you all day long. Some of you are just, you know, all day long listening to talk news and all day long taking that stuff in. Can I tell you something? Name the last time you listened to some news program and it produced spiritual fruit in your life. How many of you had the experience where you listen to something long enough and you just want to go out and deck somebody? <laughs> or you want to post something? And if it weren't for the Holy Ghost, you know, you'd regret making that post. Glory to God. How many know that out of the abundance of the heart now speaketh? How many understand out of the abundance of the heart the keyboard posteth? Watch this. Not once in a while, but consistently immerse yourself. Regular tenders on Wednesday night have at least a grain of revelation on this because they understand the principle of immersion means opportunity, exposure, consistency. That's the key. But it's not just what you do in church, it's what you do in. I love it when I have a, you know, a youth parent, I used to be a youth pastor, and I understand that dynamic. You know, we get them for an hour a week, and you get them all week long. Well, I don't know what's wrong with them. Something must be wrong with the youth program. Uh-uh. And, and while I'm on that subject, there's one place your kids should be this summer is at Dolphin Island with the youth kids. I never got to go to the beach when I was in youth. What are your priorities as a parent? You say, I want them on fire for God. I want them to live for God. I want them exposed to this. Well, I don't have the money. Believe God for it. And if you can't believe God for it, this church has never let a child that wants to go on a trip not go on a trip because of money. Never. But you see what I'm saying to you? They're going to be at the beach for morning devotions. On the beach for teaching sessions at night. Having a blast during the day like kids out of hand. You see what I'm saying to you? And, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at that as, as parents. Yeah, I want my kids to be immersed. And then we'll come up with every reason why they shouldn't go participate in something like that. And you wonder why I'd like to see my kid more advanced spiritually. You can't pass up opportunities like that. A trip like that, and this is just an illustration, a trip like that can mark that child forever. Well, my kid doesn't want to go. Since when is your kid the parent? And I don't want to go to Wednesday night. What happens when they they say, I don't want to go to school? You make them go. Because the perception is their natural education is more important than their spiritual education. And I just need to shut up before I dig myself a hole tonight. But let me tell you something. Your child's spiritual education should be number one. They'll make better decisions. They'll be more conscientious of their own hearts. They'll be quicker to repent when God speaks to them. There's all kinds of benefits to that. But... uh, whether it's taking advantage of Super Kid Academy with your little ones or having them in the nursery exposed to the things of God, this is the decision that has to make. You know, there, there was a time, you know, when children would be brought to revival meetings and they would just sleep on the, on the pews till 11 or 12 o'clock at night. The perception was, there was they're not listening, they're sleeping. Let me tell you something, having their spirit exposed, some of these kids grew up to be world changers. Driving the devil nuts right now because they grew up and they, their spirit, they were receiving things and picking up on things that you never realized they were picking up on. So what do you do? Condemn yourself? No, just make the adjustments. Amen. Glory to God. And you dedicate yourself to immersing yourself in the word of God. Because I promise you right now, you're being immersed in everything else. You're being flooded with it. If we can believe God at all, it's an absolute miracle. We're going to have to take this up, you know, several notches. You know, in World War II, when they wanted our soldiers to learn a language, regardless of where it was, whether it was the Japanese language or the German language, whatever it was, and even they've used the same technique when it came to the Persian Gulf issues, 
they would take people and they'd just drop them in these little environments in the military and they were not permitted to write or do anything except in a language they're supposed to learn. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And when that period of time was done, they were fluent in those languages. Why? They immersed them. You and I need to be fluent in the language of God. Fluent in the Word of God by immersion. Come on, say it. It's a good thing. To be immersed is a good thing. And there's a lot of junk out there on the web, a lot of junk out there on websites, but I'm telling you, we've never had so many good preaching and teaching you know, elements out there right now that you can just fill yourself with nonstop. If we want to immerse ourselves, we can, and you don't have to go out of town somewhere. You're able to do this anytime, anywhere if you just do it. And I promise you, you're going to have greater harvest. You're going to see, amen, a supernatural increase off of what you're believing God for. Number three is discern. Discern when some input is distorting the Word of God, then reject and withdraw from it. Stay alert to all things that cause distortion. It comes up in you, then repent of it and go on, like a little spirit of religion. If it's something coming at you, reject and withdraw from that particular voice. You don't have to be ugly about it, but you need to be discerning. And the Word of God tells us that if we are if we are training ourselves in that teaching about righteousness, Hebrews says, it will, it will give us the ability to discern between good and evil. Right from wrong, light and dark. Amen? Glory to God. Number four, detain. That means to capture, arrest, and imprison any voice and thought that contradicts and distorts the word of God. That means to capture, arrest, and imprison any voice and thought that contradicts and distorts the word. Let me say it again. You're going to detain that thing. You're going to capture, arrest, and imprison any voice or thought that contradicts and distorts the word. The obvious question is, how can I do that if I don't know what the word says? I can't. If I don't know what the law is, how can I arrest somebody for breaking it? No. You have to know what the law says. J.B. Phillips, 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says this, Our battle is to bring down every deceptive fantasy and every imposing defense that many erect against the true knowledge of God. We even fight to capture every thought until it acknowledges the authority of Christ. Every thought. It's not necessarily coming from God and not necessarily coming from you. It's distortion out there. And you got to capture it. you got to arrest it. Now, remember when Jesus said, Take no thought. What did he say? Take no thought. How do you know when you've taken the thought? He said, take no thought saying. You take the thought by saying it. So when you listen to yourself and you're saying this, amen, you've taken the thought. What you and I need to do is detain the thing. Don't declare it. But you'd be amazed how many things we hear get in our spirit and come right back out of our mouth because what? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. Amen. Detain it. Who's going to do this for you? You start thinking something that's depressing or, you know, somehow contradicting the word of God. No one can do it for you except for you. I'm not doing this anymore, devil. You got that? And how many know he's really good? He seems to find a niche of things that work on each of us. And he'll come at you, and you might detain it, but guess what he'll do? He'll come back again. And listen, if you manage to arrest it once, can you do it not again? Can you keep preserving yourself? Sure you can. You can do it. Say it with me, I have the mind of Christ. Decide, dedicate, discern, detain, and number five, discipline. Discipline. And by discipleship, we mean self-disciplined learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. It means be teachable. If something I say tonight rubs you the wrong way, ask yourself why. Why is it rubbing you the wrong way? Well, I just don't like it. Why? I promise you there is some measure of distortion going on. Amen. If you honor the word and love the word of God and you believe that God's plan to evangelize the world is a local church, how do you believe it's the year of the local church, that God's moving? Hallelujah. Then 
when the word goes forth, then what you want to be able to do is, is every single occasion be pliable, be teachable, be correctable. And set yourself on the word of God, no matter what you hear out there, it takes some discipline. How many say, Lord, correct me? It's like Keith Moore says, correction is good. It's good. What's it going to do? It's going to make you better, more effective. It's going to be more Christ-like. There's nothing bad that's going to come. Listen, there's nothing bad that's going to come from the Holy Ghost correcting you. Ever. You're always going to advance if you respond to his correction. Always. He has nothing in mind for you but good. He will never do anything or say anything that's not going to advance your progress. He's for you. What? Not against you. Amen. Say it with me. I decide, dedicate, discern, detain, and discipline. I'm going to stay teachable all the time. Amen. One thing I did do when I heard that story about the widow of the two mites, I got to study the Word of God myself, started looking at that story in the Old Testament, and one day, it wasn't even really connected to that particular time or occasion. I was just studying. I go, that's what the man of God was talking about. Come on, say, okay, sometimes we're slow, but we're worth waiting for. Come on, say, sometimes I'm slow, but I'm worth waiting for. I would have loved to be able to rejoice at that moment and agree with that and take it into my heart, but the revelation wasn't there. And religion was distorting. You see that? Here comes the pure word of God into the filter of religion, into my ears. Missed it completely. But there was a day when I read it for myself and I said to myself, that's exactly what that woman was doing. As she marched up to the temple treasury, she took those two mites and what she was saying is, I love you, Lord. I honor you. You brought us out of Exodus, just like we talked about. Amen. Brought us out of Egypt. Glory to God. Gave us victory over those things. And I'm doing this, and I believe what you did for that widow, you're going to do for me. Now, how many you know she was right and I was wrong? Now, at those moments, you're going to make up your mind, I'm going to go with God. There's no prize for acting like you got it all together. And the nominees for those that act like it's all together are. And the winner is. No, you win by adjusting. Picture it this way. There's something to be said for the most improved award. Not the one that needeth not to be improved. And the nominations for those who think they're all that are. Oh, what you want to be is most improved. Amen. I had a music teacher in high school and I was actually part of the, the choir and she'd always not so nicely or politely when we were doing a choral number we were practicing or whatever getting ready to go to state and so she was very antsy <laughs> I'll tell you that story in a minute but we did Handel's Messiah that's how really good she was in high school and we did Vivaldi's Gloria as well. And we had this beautiful old Methodist church in Carbondale. And we were in tuxes and the ladies were in gowns. And it was a spectacle. But we practiced, you know, at the high school for months and months and months. This was no last minute thing. And then we had live practices and dress rehearsals in full orchestra. None of this play the tape thing. <laughs> And um, we had this freshman. Everybody say the freshman. There was one oboe in the orchestra. And there's a certain part in the production where everything gets quiet. <laughs> everything but the oboe. The choir trails out. All the other musicians trail out. And then for, I don't know, it seemed like, I know, four, maybe six to ten bars. It's just the oboe. And when he got to this certain part, he missed the note. And uh, you could just see her face. 
She reminded me of my mom. If you can see that face, you know something's not right. And she said, I want to go back to such and such. And from the score, let's take it from there. And so we did our little thing. The choir fades out. And here comes Mr. Oboe. She goes, I told you to practice that. It happens again. Don't look at me. Just run. So we back up. <laughs> We're singing. Everyone fades out. Here comes the oboe. He gets up and he hightails it out the side door of the church. She drops, you know, her stick and comes after him. And to this day, we don't know what she said, how she threatened him. Uh, on pain of death, I don't know what she said. But all I know he walked in as white as Ruth's jacket right there, just, <laughs> I mean, sat down. By then, the entire orchestra requires pulling for this kid. I mean, people who never prayed in their lives were praying for him by name. Oh, God. Because <laughs> we all knew, you know. So we back it up, sing, we fade out, and he hits the thing perfectly. Finish that particular song, and everybody breaks out into a hand clap for him, you know. This same woman chose to get at me one time. You're not open up your mouth, open up your mouth, open up your mouth, open up your mouth, open up your mouth. I mean, she stopped in the middle of rehearsal and just blasted, open up your mouth. So we get to state competition. I said, I'm going to show her. I remember the song like it was yesterday is Waltzing Matilda. Waltzing Matilda. We'll go Waltzing Matilda and me. And uh, so when she called for us to turn it up, I did. <laughs> she back comes out of her, she's no, 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 shh. So, during the band awards, orchestra awards, choir awards, I was given most improved in the choir. <laughs> yes, amen. <laughs> but I still want to know what she did to Mr. Oboe. I still want to know what she said to that kid. But at any rate, knew what she was doing, just had her own way about it. But I'm telling you, there's something to be said for adjusting and improving. Don't care how old you've been in the Lord, how long you've been saved. There's always rooms like my, my brother-in-law Ben always says, my biggest room is the room for improvement. Amen? Let's give the Lord a hand clap and thank him for that. <laughs>